Hello and welcome to Game Master Studio, where we'll be talking tabletop role-playing games, tips and tricks that you can use to help bring your game at home up to the next level. Today we're doing a little retrospective to the Season 1 Dark Hounds, it just wrapped up, and talking with the cast a little bit about what it was like to play in the game. Let's do the introductions around the studio first. My name is Jerry, a.k.a. Frieden. I'm Jared, a.k.a. DMF. And for our special guests in today, we do have the rest of the cast of the Dark Hounds. Uh, in Dark Hounds playing Jarell Magnuson, the Druid, we have David. Go ahead and say hi. Hello. We are an audio-only <laughs> podcast as well. Waving to the microphone doesn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, playing Neria Stonefury, our Eldritch Knight, we have Ashley. Hi. And the role of Miser Snowfang, the adorable polar bear druid, or paladin, sorry, uh, uh, paladin of the agents, we have JR. Hello, everyone. So, the first season, as we're calling it, of Dark Hounds has wrapped up. This goes from the beginning of the campaign up until uh, the party goes into quarantine at the return from the Dungeon of Dripping Blood. Oh, this isn't going up until everything has been posted, so everybody should be aware of all that. Although we have recorded into Season 2, so do keep in mind that we don't want to give out spoilers. Or do we? Dun, dun, dun! Um, but we wanted to talk with you guys about playing a game that's designed for being in front of an audience of people who are also you know, crossing over with the podcast and looking to run a better game. Um, so we wanted to get your thoughts on Season 1, and starting with just the simple question of what was your favorite moment out of Season 1? Um, of anything that happened, what was your favorite? Um, I'll go ahead and start, because mine actually happened off-camera. Uh, at the end of the second session of play, which was the very end of what wasn't recorded <laughs> to get up in the 360 view... Uh, the party was tracking what was at that time Clovis, even though they weren't aware of it. They just knew that it was a powerful evil, as well as the town folk that they were enlisted to assist. And it came to a fork in the road, and Clovis went one way, and the townsfolk went the other. And the party had to decide which way they were going. And if I remember correctly, it was Jorel that was actually tracking through Detect Magic mm -hmm. and went off after. <laughs> You know, to follow Clovis first, and everybody paused for a moment, and then Miser was like, well, if there's an evil to fight, that's what I'm here for. And, you know, Neria went to, after that, to, because she wasn't abandoning her friends, and Tristan had to make the choice, and chose to do what was important, and then Ascot was kind of left in, like, we have a job to do, but... Oh, yeah, he okay. was also really like, do we understand that there's a very powerful evil and we're following it? <laughs> so I, I just liked that we were all at that junction of make a choice, and everybody made the same choice for different reasons mm -hmm. and made that uh, distinction. Well, actually, um, if I remember correctly, uh, my suggestion was like, do I, I kind of stopped because I was like, do we want to follow the, the tracks this way? Because I still see them, and I just kind of sat down, and Miser was like, he was like, he's the one who's like, well, I mean, if there's evil afoot, and then Neria, if I remember correctly, she's the one who went first. She, yeah. mm -hmm. she kicked up her sword and just started walking. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think Neria did actually uh, lead the yeah. pack on and that. And then we were just like, all right, we'll just go that way. Yeah, that's what I guess. Miser was probably like right on her heels, yeah. yeah. Rather than 
order they left, but just the order they made the decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was more so interested. Yeah. yeah. is Jarell is like, well, the tracks go that way. Mister was like, evil goes that way, and Neri is like, I'm going that way. So <laughs> yeah. you guys can all okay, think guys. about this, but I'm going. <laughs> what about my overall favorite moment? That was probably my favorite Ascot moment too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the dialogue with him and the unseen. Yeah. that he was going going mm-hmm. with and mm-hmm. talking to himself it was that first point where we finally got to yeah. see something's off about him yeah so what was your favorite moment from the season one um mine that's tough i you know it comes down to two i've got my favorite and then the overall favorite for the group um, but i gotta say when Jarrell first told us his story mm-hmm. uh, that was probably my favorite moment of the series so far mm-hmm. uh, it's one of the few times first times that i can really remember actually having an emotional response to another player's role-playing. Yeah. Um, you know, to the point where right after I was even said, you know, wow, that was a great piece of role-playing. Yeah. Uh, I'm so used to hack-and-slash groups that having some like, someone in the group like that that can role-play uh, was awesome. It kind of helped me mm-hmm. step up my game and redefine a bit with Miser as well. So, yeah. and It was a nice piece and important to the character of Jor-El, and it's been revisited a couple times, too. Yeah. I think my favorite piece for me, uh, which really defined Mizzer, unless that's a better topic for a little later, Go ahead. Uh, was when we first started our training with Agatha, um, and it kind of showed the playful spirit, and he got the leap on her because she beat him the first time quite, quite hard. <laughs> um, and then that whole scene between him and uh, our guild leader and Agatha all kind of yeah, fighting it out, tearing like, up the guild mm, hall. That's yeah. highlighted, I think it's episode three, <clears throat> Tussling Bears. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah. We actually named the episode after that whole Which thing where like, you're frolicking and tussling around. Probably my favorite moment of yeah. Mizern was uh, one of those defining moments when I realized how he was going to shape up moving forward. Mm. Yeah, I actually, well, I actually had down for mine, one of the other questions that we have is, what was your favorite moment involving another character? It's yeah. not your own. So, I mean, we, you kind of had yeah. Jarrell's. Mine was actually... Um, it was Mizzer diving off the balcony at Orion into, in the bar to yeah. start that fight yeah. off. Because I also know that I worked with you on making the character ahead of time, and you knew like what you wanted to do mechanically, but you weren't sure where you wanted to go as a character with Mizzer. Yeah. Yeah. And then you kind of hit that, and from there you kind of hit your stride and mm. going yeah. in and really developing into the big, but, big cuddly ball of yeah. love slash death. And that's really where <laughs> it started to come together for me as well. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so... David, what was your overall favorite <laughs> moment from season one? <laughs> you were given these questions ahead of time. Well, I'm kind of like listening to like people. It sounds like everybody's kind of doing what was what was my character's favorite moment, or what my f- favorite moment of my character versus what was my favorite moment of somebody else's character. Well, versus we kind of have it as what was your favorite moment, and what was your favorite moment that didn't involve your character? Mm. Yeah, just oh. so that you can't be all selfish and be like, all oh, my favorite stuff was my own stuff. <laughs> oh, <it's> awesome. <laughs> Um, well, my favorite moment probably with uh, the game as a whole is probably right there with, um, like, just Mizzer playing with everybody. That's all, like, that's just one giant, like, hilarity fest. It's like, in my mind, is a, is a comical kind of takeaway from this, you know, otherwise serious role-playing game that we're doing right now. And then they have these, just this little moment of, basically, it usually surrounds Mizzer of... Yeah. Of just him being a goofball because he's, you know, exactly. it's almost like he's he's the youngest, most naive of the group, 
but he has that, you know, just that paladin like good time. He's kind of reminds me of Captain Marvel in that sense, where he's, <laughs> yeah. you know, big and powerful, but still has that innocence of uh, like a 10 year old. Hopefully, that'll keep him uh, safe in season two. <laughs> <laughs> Foreshadowing. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> and his fights with Orion have kind of become a running gag. Yeah. yeah. Because, yeah. And they have. Spoilers continued into season two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're kind of kindred spirits in a way. Like, Orion is also very powerful, you know, and can throw down, but has that child mentality. Like, you know, like I describe him as being kind of like, you know, like a 14 year old kid, even though he's lived far beyond that. So, yeah, I think they're kind of kindred spirits, and that was Mm -hmm. quickly kind of role-played through without being said. You know what I mean? Like, oh, hey, you want to... You're a big bear man. I'm going to turn into a bear. Let's tussle. (laughs) And that also really highlighted the first time, for us at least, some of uh, Orion's real power. Yeah. It's hard to get an NPC in battle with you throwing dice. Mm -hmm. So having both Agatha and him, you know, going after him, and we were barely even keeping up with him, mm-hmm. and he was holding his own and then some. Yeah. Barely exactly. keeping up with him. <laughs> that really showed, uh, showed his power, too. Yeah. So. yeah. Very cool. It's going to be about you, Ashley. For your favorite moment, and possibly favorite moment that doesn't involve Nuria. Uh, well, a lot of my favorite moments are coming up. Season two, yeah. actually. Yes. But um, so far, season one, I think my favorite moment not involving Nuria... Uh, was the exchange between Clovis and Jarrell because you kind of got some interesting backstory and um, you know it was a great fight scene and everything Uh, just kind of all around really great D&D session there Um, I also really enjoy how our group doesn't really have a defined leader, but doesn't really need one either, I don't think. Um, you know, Neria is the one that's gonna just decide and make the decision for the group after all the men are bickering, and she just is like, yeah, I like this idea, so I'm gonna go for it. And, you know, uh, Jarrell's our, our wisdom, and <laughs> Tristan's our sound advice, and, uh, uh, Miser is our comic relief. Comic relief, yeah, and not in a bad way. He's also kind of like the spirit of the group. He is, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure, for sure. So I, I just really enjoy the dyn- dynamic in the group as well. And I also so. feel like Miser is the big bruiser. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Like, like he, yeah. he's the nice guy, but he's also the like, like kind of feels like everything's going to go bad. He's kind of going to be the last to fall. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. I think uh, until where we're at online right now, it's been played up that Miser has been like the tank. Like, you know, yeah. he's had the highest AC, yep. he's walked into the middle of things, and he's like, I'll just yep. sit here and dodge attack all yep. day long, yeah. and I'll just let everything hit on me, I'll take the hit so you guys can do your thing. Yep. But now with the shift that we're having, and you'll see more of this as we get into season two, but you've all seen that we've got the, these magic items, the, the intelligent bonded items that you all have, those items are shifting things like he got a very powerful attack based item yeah. you know so now Mizer can really put out some serious damage when she starts actually whipping that maul around oh, yeah. Miria can just walk into yeah. the middle of people that don't have magical uh, you know attacks and just go ha ha <laughs> <laughs> and she has an AC that rivals you know Mizer's now so it kind of shifted so like I mean, not that Mizzer still can't take a hit and be the tank in the middle of it, but you have that innate ability yeah. to just sit there and tank things. Yeah. And so now we have two viable tanks with it kind of leaning in your favor. Mm-hmm. 
And now Jarrell can't die even if he wanted yeah, to. Yeah, now Jarrell <laughs> is going to take, you know, a small act of a god to kill Jarrell with his Ring of Regeneration. And Tristan's, you know, got his luck and, you know, age, extra HP, so, like, you can all take a hit. You know, you don't have the HP of the party, but you recover faster <laughs> than the rest of the party. Uh, so, yeah, I just think that there's this real nice balance between the whole party. Like, there's no one person that really stands out in any one real regard, but you all have different uh, properties and, and things to complement. So, like you said, like, even though there's no one set, hey, you're the leader, we follow your lead, Neria tends to be the one to kind of put her first foot forward, right. mm -hmm. but after everyone's already had an equal yeah. say. Yep. You know, and so you're kind of like... A the, passive leader. <laughs> well, but almost more like the instigator. Yeah. Uh -huh. Like you, yeah. you, you get a, you know, like everyone discusses everything, everyone mm -hmm. gets everything going, but then you initiate the actual right. forward movement of whatever decision that seems to be the best option. Yeah. You know, Jarrell has the 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 abundant life experience, so he brings the wisdom, like you said. Uh, Miser is kind of like the spirit, you know, of the mm -hmm. party, and. Uh, Really, I think he's going to be like the grounding yeah. that kind of like helps keep you all, you know. So, like the qualities that I'm kind of like articulating is like I think that you're, they're all different things that will kind of keep you going and safe in a different respect. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, uh, with with Tristan, you know, having his experience and he's had some bad times, but he's got a lot of you know like good practical uh, combat experience with you know the mercenary group that he's a part of. So he kind of has like the kind of like the tactical side. Mm -hmm. uh, Jarrell has the whole like you know like maybe we shouldn't do that kind of like you know I've seen people jump off cliffs. It's probably a bad idea. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, you know, Miser will kind of help. You know, like I feel like he's gonna be like the big psychological aid. Like oh man, like we're going through some dark times. Things are getting rough, and Miser will be like, cheer up, guys. It's we cool. Got this. You know. <laughs> Granted, however, um, I do see that Jarrell, uh, you know, Jarrell versus Miser's impetuous. You know, it's like. I would be like, don't jump off, jump, you know, Miser jumps off the cliff. Don't jump off the cliff like he just did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'll be like, don't jump off the cliff. You'll be like, it'll be fine if I jump off the cliff. Wee! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dinosaurs. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> uh, so, last of the table, Jared. Yes. Season one, what's, what's your, you don't need to necessarily come up with one that didn't involve your character, but what was your, what do you think was your favorite moment from the season one? Uh, I mean, I'll try to pick one that you guys haven't already said. Uh, I actually, again, like everyone, I think I think we all have a lot. Of, it's also fresher to remember we have a lot of favorite moments from season two, which hasn't come up yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> season one, one of the things that stood out to me, and again, this is kind of like your pick, Jerry, where it's technically, it's not so much that it's off camera, so much as it's like the, one of the two lost sessions that we're going to try to get pieced together, uh, you know, pre-360. Uh, but it was the whole, the deal with the house in the woods, where, yeah. and again, nobody's going to know what we're talking about, but there was two sessions that we played before we went 360 that haven't got up. I'm going to try to piece together what I can. We had a lot of technical issues between microphones and cameras and blah, 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 blah. Someday when we get them up, you'll know what I'm talking about, but there was a house in the woods while they're on their way to um, the first town there, uh, Marathon, I think. And, am I right? Was that the one with the secret red room of pain? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Esther Wynn. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. You guys were in Marathon. Okay. So yeah. On your way to Esther Wynn, there was they encountered some gnolls. Blah 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 blah. They find this house about like a half day's travel before the town, like south of the town, and it had this girl chained up in the room. 
zombified before we got yeah, there. Yeah, zombified before we, they got there. Not even the whole thing about what was going on with the girl, but like how the party kind of dealt with it and addressed it and became more of it. Even, it started as the party, but the one that carried it the longest was Tristan. The whole like, we need to find out who owned that house. We need to track down the owner of the house. You're like, you guys were in a town that had been evacuated and, and, you know, that you were sent to deal with with a bunch of shadows and undead. And still, you never lost the focus of like, hey, let's go to the town hall and check the records. I want to know who owns that house Mm -hmm. so we can find out who had this poor girl chained up in this hidden slave room in the back of the house. Because this needs to be addressed, regardless of everything else that's going on. You did find a name, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you were given a name. It, Unsadly, you haven't really been given an opportunity to really explore right. that. Yeah. We did pass the information along to the guild. If I yes, remember you did pass it along to the guild. So, and they said they were going to look into. Yeah, they were going to look into it as well. Yeah, it was one of those like you'd put in a requisition for like some some research oh, to be right. done. Yeah. So, like yeah. that's. It's kind of been shuffled off to the side, but not forgotten, at least by me. <laughs> Hang on. End of the world incoming. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. We have to go deal with this guy. Yeah. Just, just to show him. Well, the only reason we're not is because we, we're still waiting on the research to get done. <laughs> like, if we, if, if we had an address here, we would be like, tell Clovis to hold on. We'll be right yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> Please hold. I just think it would be humorous if we sat down and said, Clovis, I don't know where you're all about this, but there's this guy. He did this thing. Convince him to be like, he did what? It's like, oh, oh, hold on. A poor young innocent girl! (laughs) Even I have boundaries. (laughs) There are lines you don't cross. Dude, not cool. I will send some shadows to dispatch him immediately. Actually, there there was another one moment that, after talking with you, after the fact, was the whole, like, um, the riddle... Oh, situation. Yeah. Uh, I thought. Yeah, talking with fun, you, yeah. I, I thought that was pretty hilarious how that played out. Yeah, and the dungeon of dripping blood with the skeletons. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, I mean, again, it's up uh, with the, the the room with the riddle where the the you found the password to the door was death, because it was uh, what comes suddenly and never leaves. I think was the the riddle. And you guys were trying to find the answer to that riddle, which was the password to open the other door to move forward through the dungeon. And the joke that uh, Jerry thought that I threw the skeletons because you guys weren't coming to a decision. Because, like, you guys talked about the answers, and, you know, or what the hypothetical possible answers to the riddle could be. And then I threw the skeletons at you. But it, the, the actual reason that I threw the skeletons that had the answers in the skeleton wasn't that because you hadn't definitively stated what you thought the answer was going to be. It was that, in my opinion, David came up with the answer too quickly. Like, one of the first <laughs> things out of his mouth was death. <laughs> But then you're like, well, it could be this, and it could be this, and it could be this. And then I'm like, well, I have this freaking encounter, because I didn't. I thought this was trickier than it was supposed to be. I want to throw these skeletons at them. They're pretty much one-hit guys anyway, so it's not like going to tie a bunch of stuff up. Let me throw these skeletons at them real quick. And then it will also definitively give you the, oh, yes, the answer is death. You know, five skeletons, letter in each of their skulls, boom, okay. Wait, wasn't it wheat? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, that was the joke after I got the first letter, and I'm just like, oh, yep. Yep. I got this. Yeah, I love, like, I think the first letter I gave you was, like, an H, and you're just like, yep, death. I'm like, I gave you an H! <laughs> Five-letter word with an H in it, only word in existence, death. <laughs> That's it. You got it. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, that was another uh, fun moment. And, again, for me, it was fun because of the, the misinterpretation. You know, sometimes it's funny when the group assumes one, you know, that the DM does something for one reason, but in your head you're like, I had nothing to do with anything. Um... <laughs> So, we've all we've all been playing for a reasonable amount of time, uh, and you always have stuff that comes up at the table that 
wasn't what you planned. You know, something that your character develops or grows that, or that you learn just from playing organically that you didn't originally plan out. Uh, so one of the questions we had on here was, what did you learn about your character playing it over the course of the season one? Does anybody want to go first? or? Yeah. <laughs> That's a toughie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I... Since I was the one that wrote these questions, I know exactly what mine was, and I obsessed <laughs> over it for a little while. And, again, for me, uh, Tristan got his best character development so far early on in Season 2. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people got yeah. his. And Neria especially, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, but for Season 1, that's a little bit of a trick. That was my first thought, too, yeah. was in Season 2. Yeah. Yes. And, <laughs> and a lot of it came with the stuff that we didn't record, unfortunately. Yeah. That yeah. We missed out. I was like, oh! Well, actually, I was thinking of a different, what has now become a r- running gag in season two with Tristan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, but for season one, uh, mine was actually kind of interesting because I came into it, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with I had a rough idea, like, I had played a Tempest Cleric in another game that didn't last very long, I wanted to give it another shot, I didn't know what to do, and I felt that Stormman was kind of a flat character, and I just kind of was going into it. Um, and then we got the artwork in, um, the commissions from Adam Kinney, mm-hmm. and we got Neria and Ascot first, and they looked awesome, and then we got Jarell and Miser, and they looked great, and then when I got to finally see the one of Tristan, it was like... I didn't know really much of anything about the character. He was very flat for me. He didn't have much of... He had kind of a generic backstory that I kind of ripped bits and pieces from other people and put them together into something. And the character wasn't really there. Um, and then it was Adam's artwork. You know, I looked at that and I'm like, I, it's it's an awesome... Turn around for the for the camera. You know, I, it's an awesome piece of artwork. It gives kind of that... that it gives the character a character for me. Mm-hmm. And... I didn't really expect that. I was absolutely shocked. I love all of Adam's art that I've seen. It's all been great, and that really helped me learn who my character was from seeing the way he put it together. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I had an image of Tristan beforehand, but since then, any mental image I've had of him has pretty much been Adam's (laughs) artwork, entirely defining it. Yeah, I definitely do not regret getting Adam to do work for no, us all. I know that there was some miscommunication on the original thought process for Jarrell, and that's unfortunate. But this is like this is like wandered out of the woods look. Yeah, exactly. So like, and I'm like, you know, and and after discussing more of it after already having the art, like I think that we came up with a good like, okay, this was him crawling out of the tree. Right. You know, yeah. he's he since, would he would probably look closer to that. Yes. Yeah. First you know, Now, like you know, if you were to see you know like the you know the end episodes of season one and very much so shortly into season two, he is more of a Sean Connery kind of you know mm-hmm. appearance and look. And there's going to be a new generation of art from Adam for everyone coming soon, and that will represent Ooh, Jarrell super as well. It's funny you say that about your character, because I, I almost to the degree to the most part, but unfortunately I can't, I cannot distinguish your character's blonde hair with your dark hair, and I think I transposed yeah. that already. <laughs> so your character will always have dark hair in my mind. I, I, I can't not think that. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that you always look at me and see me as a blonde. <laughs> <laughs> with locks. <laughs> <laughs> but that's because I've, I'm always like right across from you and I'm just like when you're talking you're, you're in character and I'm just like dark hair <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's and the only thing 
I know for me, season one was really hard to get into character. I sometimes have a difficult, like, probably more often than not, getting into a character. And definitely season two, there's been a major transition. Yeah, same here. Looking forward, I think. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. But I, I think I agree the artwork helped because I didn't really have... Like, I had kind of an idea of what I wanted Nerea to kind of look like, but, you know, it is like, like David said, you know, you always picture the character maybe a little different, like, whoever's it is, and then, yeah, so, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> I think, uh, personally, for Nerea in season one, one thing that I don't think it, it was necessarily maybe a defining moment, but a trait that you made a decision, then you've mm-hmm. stuck with it, is, yeah. again, the whole, like, being the, the the one to put her foot yeah. forward, like yeah. you know, like way back in that that session where like the first there's session. a fork in the road, yeah. you know, and it's like yeah, well we do we I'm going this way, right? Well, even like our very first session, which of course wasn't recorded, it was everybody was standing in front of the guild hall door, like what do we do? We hearing the sound, what do we do? And she just, <laughs> just kicked the door right in, in yeah. and everybody's like, okay, yeah, guess we're going <laughs> yes, in. We're going in. Yep. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, that I I really like that. About so yeah, I, and that's something that you've stuck with and carried forward. Mm-hmm. So yeah, even though you might not have seen it as a defining moment, right. I think you know yeah. since you decided to like you yeah. know like hold on to that yeah. concept for sure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Jr. What did you learn about Mizzer through playing him through season one? Um, well, playing Mizzer to begin with was a really hard choice for me because I've tried characters in the past that are animalistic. Uh, and doing any kind of an animal hybrid character is really tough. Um, I've had a Minotaur before, and I mean, as fun as that character was, I never was able to give it life or have the other side of it than just being a humanoid personality, a person, uh, as we think. But with animals, there's always, you know, that other side of it as well. Uh, So with Mizzer, and I finally decided to kind of overcome that, and rather than being terrible at playing an animal-type character, uh, I think I've kind of helped myself uh, learn how to play something that's not just your typical humanoid, uh, which is really hard to do. But I finally feel like, especially now we're getting into Season 2 more, uh, that I've got it. You know, it's actually starting to come together. Um, yeah, I think you know that's also been shown uh, in your role playing. You know, with doing things like Miser, ra- like drinking. You described him as rather than picking up the drink to drink from the cup, he just like dives his muzzle in, yep. or like he kind of sprawls across the table because he doesn't like. Well, there's chairs, there's tables. We can sit on either one, right? Yep. <laughs> um, but I also think it's great that you've gotten that in combat. There's a lot of times where Miser will dive into combat and he's got a weapon. But he goes claws and yeah. bites and you know stabbing with him with the horn on his helmet. You know, mm-hmm. rather than we're going to stand face to face with each other and swing swords, yeah. he's diving in and tearing things apart. Yeah. So to actually convey a character through combat is a nice yeah. way to to keep that consistency. Yeah. Yeah. He goes more towards the animalistic side yeah. in combat. Yeah. So that's definitely been my biggest um, stumbling block and probably learning point as a character growing through season one. Um, I can't wait for season two to get into it more now. Yeah, I don't know if this is anything that ever enters your mind, but in my mind, anytime like you have an, a, a situation where you need to approach it, you know, like where do I come from from a role playing standpoint? Knowing the the personality of Mizer, I always think, what would Yogi do? <laughs> you know, they're like you know, smarter than your average bear, playful. You know. <laughs> What's Mizer's intelligence score? Uh, Mizzer's intelligence is an 11. His wisdom yeah. is also an 11. Yeah, so smarter than the average bear. 
Yeah. Uh, so playful like, I'm and fun. 14 so you can go smarter than the average human. <laughs> and then uh, for David, because Jarrell had the very detailed backstory that we've come into, so it seems like you you walked in the door with a very well-fleshed-out character and a good idea of what you wanted to do. Was there anything you know you learned or kind of surprised you to learn about Jor-El through the course of Season 1 play? Uh, about Jor-El specifically, no. About what the DM would allow me to do with all of that information <laughs> was really... I wasn't expecting to, you know, really get into his, you know, traumatic events that early on, actually, but... You know, when we had that that moment where I kind of role played my my backstory of Jarrell explaining it, I was I was anticipating that to be more of like kind of bits and pieces at first and not really done early on. But then when it got out so early, I was like, oh, oh cool, because I was like, yeah, <laughs> it fleshed out Jarrell for me. Um, and I mean, quite a bit actually for for the Game Master Studio podcast. You know, we're often bringing up the two rules: the rule of cool and the rule of fun. You know, you want to do what's fun for people, and you want to do what's cool for the players, because they are the stars of your show. And I think that's an opportunity that did really let Jarrell shine to have that come up. Yeah, I mean, and everyone's going to have different, you know, thoughts on how best to approach that kind of stuff. And I know that even though you come up with this really cool background, sometimes you just want to share it with the world, but then other parts of you is kind of like, well, it would be really cool if this kind of got kept to myself for a while. And while I appreciate the second thought on that, you know, the latter, where you're like, oh, well, it'd be cool if this came out in bits and pieces, and, like, the the party has to kind of, like, know me for a long time to really get to know the truth about me. You know, like, D&D games blow up all the time, and, like, you know, there's, there's so many reasons why, like, it's just best to just get it out yeah. there. You know what I mean? Like, if you have something cool, it's the same tip that they, you know, a lot of people say for DMs and that we've said before. Like, if you have a cool idea, just use it. Like, don't wait, because you don't know what the next session holds. You don't even know if the group will be together the next session. Like, if you have a cool idea, use it. If you have an awesome combat encounter, you know, for a DM, use the awesome combat encounter. You know, if you have cool concepts that for your player that you want the party to know about eventually, don't wait till eventually, just get it out there. And also, the more information, you know, the, the more background that you guys have for your characters, the less than I have to do. You know what I mean? Like, in the sense of, like, I don't have to come up with a background for Jarrell. Jarrell has a background. But since he has a background, I should use the background. Why, you know, force storyline into a character's mouth when they already have their own storyline, you know? So, yeah. If we were talking more season two, not to give anything away, um, that's the biggest thing, you know, that we've kind of come across that I've learned with that as well, is being able to <laughs> actually play my character and paint the story, you know? Yeah. Uh, give me a picture. Mm -hmm. yeah. that, that concept is changed the way that I look at a lot of things, and I think from a player standpoint, I've taken advantage of a lot of DMs mm -hmm. and just expected too much out of them. Yeah, um, I, mean, I mean, every group's different. You know, every DM, some DMs want to basically write the character yeah. for the player. In my opinion, it's the player's character. They should be, you know, I mean, if they don't want to, if they just want to kind of phone it in and show up and play, like, I'm just here to hang out with friends, that's a different story. Yeah. The DM can feel free can to jump in. in yeah. Game, though. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if you, I wouldn't say I expect, but I hope that, you know, the, the players that show up to my table are going to have at least some semblance of a concept of a character, and if we need to help flesh that out at the table, then by all Definitely. means we'll do that. But if you have an idea, or if you have a 14-page backstory, I will read it, and we will do what we can with it. <laughs> That's kind of a situation I'm in in one of the games I'm running, is, you know, there's you know, five players, and three of them have given me backstory, 
that I have like already put into the game and I'm like, oh, I'm so excited kind of like <laughs> for that. But then there's two other players that I don't really have like, either they have a backstory like Ashley's character, but it doesn't really play into what's going on. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have two characters that I kind of have to, since they don't have a backstory, I have to create a story for their characters to really kind of get them invested. And that's kind of the, um, it's a little more difficult, but it's kind of at the same time, I'm still kind of like, oh, well, kind of a little more fun too. Cause I'm like, well, I could, I could do this. I could play with the characters a little bit like that. Yeah, it's nice when you have the mix like that, because then you're like, okay, they've done a lot of the work for me, I just need to figure out how to twist it into my story, but then I also have these people who are like, well, these are, they're open books, I can do what I want with them, you know? Like, now again, <clears throat> I had a little bit of that with Neria, like, Neria had some backstory, and I'm just like, a little bit. but, you know, nothing compared to Jarrell, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, Jarrell's got pages of backstory, and Neria's got, like, you know, a couple paragraphs, and I'm like, okay, <clears throat> that leaves a lot of options for me to play with. But I also have to make sure that I'm very true to the few paragraphs that are written. Right. You know, I can't go, well, let's just throw these out right. and rewrite these. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually really, really like that a lot. So, yeah. So, now, <clears throat> the, the world of Wrath itself has, in many ways, been a collaboration between you, yourself and your players that are playing in the game. Mm -hmm. They've been given lots of opportunities to make and shift the world and design things for you to fit in there. Um, have you had anything good come up through the course of play of the Dark Hounds that has really had kind of an influence on Vrath? More than you guys even know right now. <laughs> More than you even know. Like, there is, like, I'm the only person that even has a clue of how much, like, is coming down the road and how much I have changed core principles of Vrath behind the scenes that haven't even come in yet. The only person that has a clue is Adam, because he's, no, he he plays D&D, &D, but not in this group, and not regularly, you know, and I, so, you know, he, he's a close friend, so, like, I can go and I can talk to him, and, and like, these are ideas I came up with! I need to tell somebody! Because I can't tell you guys, because it will spoil so much, but, yeah, there's a, I mean, obviously you've gotten, you know, we've, we've met Clovis, we have, a, you know, a taste of Clovis, and, and Clovis is helping me, you know, kind of, bring back some ideas and some adventure hooks that I had kind of played with Jerry in different games with the whole like you know the the dragons returning and you know which is a core principle of Wrath where like their ages are based on you know the return and the disappearance of dragons approximately every 2,000 years so I get to kind of bring that back what happens with that obviously you will be left to seeing how things play out in Dark Hounds but there's also the the character of Clovis, which again was based off of some of Jarrell's background. You know, like oh well, you know he had this thing that where he went and he was, oh, it, 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 basically the equivalent of like a twentieth level epic level character before he took his nap and had parted with some really powerful adventurers, and one of his uh, background story hooks. And again, I'm incorporating some of his history into Wrath history uh, was there was a big dragon thing that he dealt with. He mediated like a truce between yeah. the two, well, his group. Did. So kind of like, I kind of was inspired by some of his background and incorporating some of this into Vrath's history and creating Clovis's background. And I kind of, again, because he had 14 pages of backstory, I could kind of toss out slash rewrite a few paragraphs here and there without undoing or, re, you know, recreating Jarrell and kind of muted, you know, in, uh, in putty clay, you know, remolded a little bit of the history and, pushed Clovis into his group and kind of rewrote that whole deal. And now Clovis has this huge storyline that's you guys only still only know part of that's going on in the back of my head, 
Which then, again, like how this trickle effect. So, like, Jarrell led to this, you know, led to Varathian rewrite, that led to Clovis. Clovis has you know, led to this backstory. That backstory is leading to this other huge rewrite or slash edition of Wrath and its history and all that stuff. So, like, there's just, there's huge uh, ideas afoot and all to come. Stuff that you it's definitely about. an evolving world, always. Yeah. Um, and having heard a lot of Jerry's story, uh, Free it in stories. <laughs> Having heard a lot of the stories um, from past games, uh, I was really looking forward to the magic, a- I mean, the religious aspect of yeah. Wrath. Uh, it's one of the most uniques I've ever seen, and I actually love that concept and the philosophy behind it all. So, what you've done with Wrath is just incredible. Yeah. Especially from the religious aspects for me. Yeah, we're going to do a little without giving anything away. Side video about the cosmology of Wrath and Jerry and I are going to do that down the road so people can cuz it hasn't like it's kind of come into play a little bit in yeah. the, you know in what we've played on camera but like if anyone's just watching this they wouldn't really understand the full depth of the cosmology. Yeah, they should and definitely check out the Wrath boards and all the history there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the one last question that I did want to bring up before we uh, before we wrap it up is like I said everybody has played D&D there at the table before Dark Hounds. And if I'm not mistaken, this would be everybody's first game on camera. Yeah. I don't yes. think anybody did any before that. No. So we wanted to get your impressions on the differences that the camera makes at the table. Hmm. <laughs> David has to restrain himself for a moment. <laughs> Sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> So what differences have you found from having to roleplay in front of a camera as opposed to being at a game where there's no camera present? Learning to try to ignore it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. to actively ignore something. I mean, even as we started this this whole session here, every one of us, you know, Ashley, David, and myself, waved at the camera when we were... Right. Know, saying, <laughs> even even yeah. you saying it was audio only, yeah. we're so yeah. engraved. We're like, hey, everyone, hey. Like, did it again. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so learning to actively try to ignore something that is right there Literally the in time, your face, yeah. Yeah. Um, has been hard, but it's just practice. Yeah. It's not even a learned thing. I think we've just kind of become desensitized mm-hmm. to it to the yeah. point where it doesn't slow us down anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Until we're put you know, in the DM chair to, to talk to, to, to right. them. Once we're recording we're like, a promo, oh, it's a different story. <laughs> it's a whole different ballpark. <laughs> yeah, I think, I actually think, well... I know for the first couple of sessions it was like, oh my god, uh. yeah, but then like, too. but then now I'm like, oh yeah, we're recording, and I'm like, God, I probably look like I'm doing something really retarded right now because I'm just not even like paying attention, you know? You you just like start doing things that you're just like, uh, wait, what? Um, this is probably. <clears throat> I think as long as I'm not picking my nose most of the right? time, I probably yeah. good. <laughs> like, did I just do that? Um, I've I've actually I've found the big thing is the um uh, the non-game aspects. We put those in fr- we you put the game in front of the camera, and now all of a sudden. You know, we can't go. Let's talk about the latest movie, or have like a, like a side conversation on that. Or as I was very much a a culprit of early on, um, I have a tendency to snack when I'm gaming, <laughs> <laughs> and and Jared didn't let me live that down for 
Ever. Because the microphone picked it all up. Because the microphone, well, especially with the, the season one aspect, the camera was in a seat right between right. you and him. Yeah. So, so, like, so even when he thought he was being sneaky, he's like right in front of the camera. He's like. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. camera right there. Right. <laughs> you know, or, or mean, if he turns away from the camera, it's still just like all of a sudden, just like he just turns away from the camera <laughs> and he comes back and his jaw's up and down. Yeah. <laughs> like, we know what you're doing. And, and the sidetracks, which. Um, on our YouTube, we've now started recording the games of, of Out of the Abyss that David's running, and you're going to be posting uh, Ashley's I Christmas know, special. Get to that. I'll get to oh, that yeah, today. my Christmas special. Um, <laughs> so, on those, we have a camera in the room, right. but it's not intended to be recording. And there are side conversations, and we're messing around, and Jared's doing his Batman impersonation. Look <laughs> And Hilarity ensues, though. Yeah, it's, it's, hilar it's hilarious, it's funny, and we have those side conversations because they're fun and they're interesting, but for an outside viewer, they may not be as interesting. So here we are <laughs> coring it down, to like, this is, you want to see gaming? We're gaming, and yeah. you're going to get to see the characters develop, yeah. mm -hmm. which had built, it kind of distilled down, mm -hmm. and allows us to pack a lot more into a regular session, yeah. because we're not having lots of side conversations and yeah. stuff, which is really interesting, but it also it makes us be... focused us a lot. Mm. And it, but it's also making us be really conscious of, like, oh, I wanted to tell JR this thing, and I can't because we're in the middle of the game right now. <laughs> yep. But that's also why I'll let like the random conversations go on for like an extra hour before we start right. recording. It's like, please just get it out of your system. Yeah, I know yeah. we don't hang out all the time, and I want to chat too, but like, if we want to get a good three, four hour game in, then we're going to slowly yeah. start recording. Yeah. For me, I guess, um, camera, no camera. I'm an only child who's in theater, so to me it was just like, oh, Whatever. <laughs> like, the nervousness did not even exist. I'm like, people get to look at us while we role play and I get to do theater <laughs> things? Dreamy. <laughs> it's right on my alley. <laughs> no, and I actually, well, kind of backtracking, like, you know, recording our, your game at our house, it's like, Oh yeah, you know, we have people that aren't used to the camera, so then they're all like, oh my god! Yeah, and you're used to it now. Yeah, yeah. And, and like the four of us are just like, yeah, whatever, like we just totally ignore it, like completely. I'm sure there's yeah. one session where I'm like walking back and forth in front of the camera like 20 times. <laughs> the, so, first, like... the first time we set it up, one of the players <clears throat> tried to hide, uh, oh, yeah. hide behind one of the other players. Yeah. And just like, we want to be on the camera. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah, Cheyenne didn't want to be on yeah. there yet. Yeah. Well, it's funny because how, how just quickly they just kind of like ignored it at yeah, that point. Yeah. Yeah, they're coming around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Once you start getting into playing and you're actually focusing on the game, you start you stop thinking. I mean, it's just yeah. the same thing as like being you know with theater. Like, okay, I've done 13 freaking rehearsals. There's people in the audience. Oh yeah, whatever. I forgot. I'm just yeah. going through the motions. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, for me, I I had the biggest advantage of everyone when we first sat down. Like I already already been doing some YouTube stuff. Like mostly like in front of a microphone, but also in front of some camera stuff. So. Right. To me, it was like, all right, well, whatever, this is just another day. I've gotten used to just, I'll just friggin' talk, and whatever happens, happens, and I get to edit this later anyways, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have the final say on what I, you know, how stupid I look. Um, even, even the podcast recording didn't entirely prepare me, because for the podcast, we will occasionally go quiet and, like, communicate in, like, sign language miming things, mm -hmm. and then start talking again, and then when it gets edited, just that silent part gets mm -hmm. cut out. We can't do that anymore with the camera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
yeah, if I start doing, I mean, and there is some still some cutting in the, the 360 video, but it's more apparent because you see this crossfade mm -hmm. of the video. In audio, you can cut whole chunks out and you'll never even know because it's just like, okay, this sentence ended, this sentence started. Mm -hmm. But in video, when this sentence ends and you're standing, you know, off to the left, and then the next sentence starts and you're standing off to the right, oh, well, there's a big giant physical cue that, you know, we just did a jump cut. Yeah, so that's pretty sweet. <laughs> So I try to keep the editing down to a minimum, but at the same time, I'm not going to waste a lot of people's times because there have been times where we got off topic and we ran, you know, talked about this or that, or we, you know, because of camera issues, we lost focus and, you know, so I think for the, the camera deal, there was something I was going to say and I'm trying to remember what it was. <laughs> it's helped teach you patience with the heat sink. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, I was gonna mention the because you had mentioned the focus thing, like I like the distilled thing. I think that it, like you said, we get a we can do in three hours what might take other groups and sessions five or six hours yeah. because since we're not getting off top, we don't have twenty minute rants about the movie that we just saw in the middle of a session. We try <laughs> to keep the combat as quickly paced as possible. I mean, like D twenty pros helped with that. We have some other tricks that we're gonna be using for like combat in season two, where like we're gonna kind of distilling the combat down to almost like a uh, like a challenge kind of system, you know, which we did a little bit on the one session that unfortunately we had a huge issue with and didn't record, but then later re-recorded. So sad. Yeah. I tried not to bring up the bad it times. Was. <laughs> it was so good, though. Uh, it was. so good. We redid it, and it was a okay. close second, but nowhere near as good as the first original session, I have to say. Yeah. There were some things that I like about the redo. I do, too, yeah. You know, over the first one, but there was more. Uh, there was more things I liked about the first version than the second version. But anyways, not talking about the dark days. Um, <laughs> we have a new camera now, by the way. <laughs> uh, that one got retired. Also, all sorts of great things happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think that's nice. <laughs> and, and again, because this is you know an actual play series that's you know hosted by a a, a GM advice podcast, we try to stick to like stick to the game, you know. We tried to make sure that we're trying to use as many of the tips and tricks that we talk about, you know, as much as the game theory that we talk about. And I miss opportunities left and right, and every session I sit down and I go, oh, when we're all done, I'm like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and that gets brought up on the podcast, you know. They yeah. come watch us play, watch us use some of the opportunities, and watch us miss a ton of opportunities. Yeah. Hey, and now that you have the other video with uh, when we play at my place, you also have examples of things not to do, like <laughs> split the party. <laughs> two of two of you, you guys. It never works out. What? Well. Like you have two to, of the you most have to watch that. Players. So funny. <laughs> so funny. Uh, they have to be a Constitution man. save of thirteen. Both of them fail. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so we're so we're gonna stop talking about that now. Let's <laughs> move so, on. So, so we're actually we're just gonna kind of wrap it up. But we have we have a lot coming up for season two that we're really excited for. I mean, even at, we're we're like, okay, we're gonna talk about season one, not season two. And season two kept bleeding in. So I think we've got a lot going on there. That's that's great. You know, new camera, new setup. Things are moving and changing around. There's a lot of character development. There's some great moments. And we are going to be debuting that, ramming for January 15th for Season 2 to start. It is on going to be on our YouTube channel, as well as veer.tv. Um, you, you can stay tuned to our pages for more information and updates. And if you like the trip so far, hopefully you're going to like where it keeps going. So thank you for joining us. We can 
Catch us as the new episodes go up, and we will be doing Game Master Studio continuing every week. And, of course, we'll see you next time we stop into the studio. <laughs>